sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. I don't need to stand. I'll be fine. Yeah, appreciate it. All right. Let me get set up then. Let me mute this bad boy so we don't have any frequencies did y'all enjoy the rain today i know i did i am a lover of the rain it could rain for six days and i'm happy leah does not like the rain it could rain six minutes and she is beyond upset but you know opposites attract what was that Whatever, you know, I mean, for me, it's fun, it's fun. But um, today we're gonna go into a message, you're gonna see a message, I'm gonna teach you a message entitled, You Can Only Know What You Know. You can only know what you know. And that's a phrase that's easily forgotten, but it's true nevertheless. Um, the, the inverse of that is also true. You can't know what you don't know. Um, it's a very simple concept, and that raises the question for us, do you know about the Lord, or do you know the Lord? Those two, those que- that question is, or those two questions, there's a huge difference between them huge difference and it's the difference is as big as the Grand Canyon and you're like what what does that mean well to understand the Grand Canyon as a massive crack in the earth is one thing but to see and experience the depth and breadth of it is completely different I've never been there but I did get on Google Maps (laughs) last night and I looked at the size of the Grand Canyon, and it's insane. But imagine, as I'm sitting here looking at it, I imagine me looking like that big, overlooking the Grand Canyon, and I, I'm kind of blown away just thinking about it. Imagine being there. How many of you actually follow uh, Zach and Shelby on Facebook? Right? I actually got Facebook just so I could follow them. Then I started posting stuff and sharing, you know, pictures and adding friends and whatnot. But they are on some magnificent expedition throughout the country, and that's amazing. And I can guarantee you that when they come back, you can ask them all they want, all you want. You can say, what was it like? How, what was uh, seeing UFO Valley like? And they'll, pro- they'll probably say the same thing to you. <clears throat> They will probably say, they'll probably say this, words just can't describe what we saw. You have to go and experience it yourself. You have to go out and do it. The only way to know even a sliver of God's creation 
creative abilities is to go and do what they're doing. Go explore the world. Go explore the nation. Go explore his creation and just be in awe. In encountering the depth of our sin through a reading of the word, of God's word, can be a similar experience. We need to be exploring God's word. We need to be diving into it just to see what it has to say. In his word, we read about God, about what or how God sees us, um, how short we fall, even on our best days. And then we are encouraged and inspired to repent of our sins, to allow God to correct our mistakes, turn away from those things, turn to the Lord and follow him and serve him all the days of our life. And we can't possibly know how to live for God if we don't read our Bibles and see what he has to say about it, about living for him. You know that's why he died for you, right? He died on the cross so that you can live for him today. Not just be saved, but live for him. God is the source of our information, and the Bible is the results of our research. You know how you go to Google. That's the, the engine, and then you type in, uh, Google, how do I uh, get joy today? And Google will have oh, a plethora of things. And none of it is the same. But God's word is the same. His joy is the same. And his information that he gives us is all the same. This is not on your notes. I have a couple verses that are not on your notes. But this is what I want to start with. Uh, it's going to be Jeremiah 9, 23 to 20 and 24. And I, I, I would implore you to go to it. Um, Highlight it, if you will, if you're one of those people, underline it, um, you know, circle the numbers, if you will, just to remember whatever it is. But Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, it says this, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, nor the strong man in his strength, nor the wealthy man in his riches. Verse 24 says, but let him who boasts, boast in this. What are we boasting about? That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving devotion, justice, righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Now, I think in order for us to understand what God really means, we got to read it backwards. Because it's saying the same thing. It's just a little different. What he's saying is, it says, it, the verse, the passage begins and ends the same way. This is what the Lord says, declares the Lord. So, let's go ahead and say, God proclaimed. He says, I proclaim this. I delight in these things. What things do you delight in, Lord? I delight in loving devotion. Which is just, or which is mercy, goodness, faithfulness, um, charity, love, all of those things. He says, I, in, I delight in loving devotion, I delight in justice, and I delight in righteousness. That is rightness. He says, I delight in these things on the earth. 
That means where we dwell, this is what he loves. So the things that we're supposed to care about, justice, you know, abortion, uh, parental rights, what a marriage actually looks like, your will to go into a man's bathroom or a woman's bathroom is crazy, the things that we're dealing with today. But he says that he exercises these things. So if he exercises these things, he expects us to do these things, to love to do these things. Why does he exercise those things? He says, well, because I am the Lord. And before we can even understand who he truly is, we have to know first that he is the Lord. He is God of the universe. He is Yahweh, Jehovah. And he says that you need to understand me and know me. And that's how we glorify him, is by understanding him and knowing him. And what he says after that is to say, stop trusting in yourself. He says, you, if you're wealthy, those riches ain't coming with you. Those riches are not going to go where I, in the, the place that I have for you. He says, if you're strong, you think you can pray for hours and hours and hours, or you can withstand this thing, this, or, or that thing, or you've been sober for this long. He says, don't trust in your strength. Your strength will fail you at times, and you will fall. He says, don't be so wise in your own eyes. Don't let your intellect tell you that you can learn this and you can learn that. You can learn this philosophy. You can learn this piece of wisdom, and it's the wisdom that I give you. It's not. This is what the Lord says. He wants us to understand and know him. And we need to seek that. Now, the first time I read this verse, <clears throat> I thought to myself, God, I'm no rich man. But I'm certainly guilty of bragging about myself often. Often. So how do I get to know you? And believe you me, this passage hits a little harder every time it's read, at least in my life. Every time I read it, I realize just how short I fell yesterday and today. But I have to know these things. I have to know that in my, pow in my own power, I will not ever accomplish what God has planned for me in this world. I won't do it. So knowing what God wants for me today propels me to know what he wants me to know about tomorrow. And what he wants me to know about tomorrow is the same thing you need to know about tomorrow. Do you know what that is? What I'm going to tell you. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> what we need to know about tomorrow is that tomorrow we will need God more than we needed him today. More. Not just as much. More. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So we really need to trust that God's going to carry us. We need to know that. God put a strong conviction on me sometime a year ago to plant a church. And mind you, I've, 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 I had only been here about two years. Um, I, I immediately, almost, almost immediately thought to myself, <laughs> there's no way that was from God. That is way out of left field. That, that, I'm, I'm not qualified. I just started the youth ministry. There's a lot of fruit here. There, I'm not even qualified to be doing that. 
They're, ah, Satan. <laughs> That's the only way I can justify this. Satan, you just want me to leave the ministry. That's what it is. Uh, you almost had me. You almost had me, Satan. And I just recently learned from Barry McGuire. He's, he has this, this saying, it's, it's called to follow the nudge. Do you guys know what the nudge is? The nudge is, uh, you know, you get that nudge in your spirit that says, hey, you need to call this person. Hey, you need to go talk to that person. I bet they're having a bad day. Or, you know, hey, let's go buy that person's groceries. Let's feed this homeless person. Let's get them close. But then your flesh kicks in and says, but why? Why would I do that? Or you just say, I'll call them later. And you never do it. You didn't follow the nudge. What Barry McGuire says is to follow the nudge, live in the fog. What's the fog? The favor of God, F-O-G, the favor of God. And I can tell you, when I ignored that call, a year of misery began. I can... I had all kinds of anxiety come up that I, I'd never been an anxious person until then. Discord came between those that I served with. I didn't know how to have conversations with the people around me. Discomfort in my comfort came. And it felt like it would never go away. It felt like it was never going to end. Then as I was going through my... Uh, Methods of Biblical Change class at Calvary Chapel University in February and March. Um, I learned something. This class, first off, this class was a self-evaluation class. It was a, a, a discipleship class. It want, this class was made for us to look deep within ourselves and realize our true nature, in, or who our true nature is, which is nothing but sinful, who we are in Christ, where we stand in Christ, and how to lead people to him. And in this class, I read, whenever a believer is outside of the will of God, he is anxious and fearful, therefore he sins. And that steps on a lot of toes. But for me, in my particular case, boom, Holy Spirit punched me right in the gut. And I said, I knew exactly, I know, I know exactly what this is talking about. Mind you, Leah has been going back and forth because I've been going back and forth. Let's do this. Let's not do this. Let's do this. Let's not do this. Oh, she's been everywhere. But then when I read this, you know, I, I, I sat Leah down. I said, look, we, we talked about the church plant again. And she finally said this. She said, look, and you know, husbands, you know what that means. You're like, uh, she's about to put me in my place. She said, look, you're the spiritual leader in this relationship. I'm going to follow you wherever you go. I'm going to support you in whichever decision you make. I just need you to make a decision and stick to it. <laughs> and I just said, well, let's pray then. So we prayed. We decided to go on with the church plant. And when we were done, we were over, I'm talking about the peace that God brought to us in that moment. It's like everything that has been happening and that was going to happen wasn't even a thought. We were so, we were making the bed with the biggest smiles on our face. It was nine o'clock at night. We were just happy. 
just like, oh, boy, this feels good. This is the right decision. And then just all kinds of other stuff happened. But in that moment, I knew that this is what we were supposed to be doing. So with that being said, this is the verse that our church is going to be built on. This is the mission for the, uh, for the church. And it's John 17.3. John 17, 3. By the way, I believe this is in the Berean Study Bible version. I use this with the students to, I usually, I'm, I teach out of the New King James Version, and then I use my references with the Berean Study Bible because it's so easy to understand, and it's so good, it's so rich. But since this is one verse, I just use the Berean Study Bible. It's no different, really. The New King James Version says and instead of now, and has a sim, it has a colon in there somewhere but this is John 17 3 it says now this is eternal life that they may know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent father we we pray that uh, today your your spirit is just touching hearts father we pray that your word and there's going to be a lot of your word talked about but we pray that it is uh, life-bringing and life-giving and life-sustaining for those in here and that you speak to us, you teach us, and that you show us what you want us to know individually and collectively as a church. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can only know what you know. Your first point is you can only know what you know, so make sure you know position matters. And I'm going to drink some water before I keep going because I almost stopped. So what do I mean by position? There are a few things to consider about position. Number one, God desires to dwell or live with the person who has a shattered position. He desires to position himself with us. Why? Because when we break, he molds us into a new creation. He causes the believer to walk in his ways by his spirit. He transforms us in and transforming us into the person he wanted us to be in the first place. He wants to be the foundation of our lives. But we have to come to a point where we ourselves understand that we need assistance and someone else to hold us up. Notice I said someone else and not something else. We can't put our thing, trust in things, but someone else, because our souls desire a living being to actually assist us in our walk through this experience called life. Think about kids growing up without a dad. Maybe you've been one of them. But when you, or a mom even, let's put it that way. It is by God's holy grace that they don't fall into depression, sexual, immoral lifestyles, prostitution, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, fill in the blank. It's vast. There's a desire to have both parents in our lives to show us what it means to be a man if we're a boy. 
or for a girl to show what uh, what kind of man they would need to have in their lives. That's what dad is all about. Mom is all about showing the daughter what it's like to be a nurturing mom, to be a supportive wife. And for us men, that's what we look for in our wife. My wife's a lot like my mom. My mom loved watermelon. <laughs> Leah does too. And I said, that's, that's the, di I like, I like that. I like that. In fact, I didn't know that until after we were married, but whatever. Um, but God's character is in both of those aspects. God is nurturing, yet he is a father. So where one does not have a put together family, upon belief in Christ, you have been positioned in God's holy family. That is praiseworthy right there. In Ecclesiastes, uh, where it's in Ecclesiastes where Solomon says that God has set eternity in our hearts. He said it here. What he means is that he created a spot for him to live in and only him to live in. And we have to, and when we allow him to move in, we surrender our souls to Christ and God changes us from the inside out. And number two, God desires for us to recognize our position in Christ. He wants us to recognize it. And that's in John 17, 3a. The first part says, and this, or now this is eternal life. I love that because this, this is, this word, there's so much scripture to talk about our position in Christ. And we don't have the time for it. Um, but God gave you, he gave us his one and only unique son so that we may have what? Eternal life. Life everlasting. So what does this word eternal consist of? Eternal in the Greek, it's ayanos. And it's, it means without beginning and end, that which has always been and always will be, the life which is God's, hence it is not affected by the limitations of time. This word is full of meaning. It, it starts there. It first is used of God to describe who he is. He's always been, he always will be, he was, is, and is to come. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is eternal, and he is eternity. Therefore, eternity rests in his character, in who he is. Second, it is used of the gifts that he has generously given to those who cling to Jesus. The body of Christ, that's the church, they were given spiritual gifts to build one another up, to build each other up, to hold each other up. When you go to the gym, that's just what happens. You have a secondary muscle working to help the primary muscle you're trying to work. There's a bunch of things that's happening. You have ligaments moving, bones moving. You have a brain telling you to do so. The Holy Spirit imparts those gifts onto us uniquely and individually. And he also produces fruit within us. 
uh, you have Second Corinthians four. Second Corinthians four seventeen. It says, um, I don't think that's the right one there, but I'm going to read it here. Or maybe I have the wrong one. We'll see. Uh, verse 17 I have here for our light and momentary affliction, which just pay attention to that. Listen to that. For our light and momentary affliction. That's, that's talking about the here and now. I don't know what you guys have gone through, but I've, and we can talk about this some other time, but I have lost a parent. I lost my mother when I was 16, five days before my birthday on Mother's Day. I've also been shot. I don't, I'm, this is not for me to brag about me. I don't know what you're going through. I know that there's something that somebody in here says, nobody understands what I'm doing. There's no way you can or what I'm going through. This, what happened to me is the absolute worst thing that could happen to anybody. But look at what Paul says. Paul says that for our light and momentary affliction is producing. That word there is talking about preparing, equipping, accomplishing, accomplishing for us an eternal weight of glory. That is far beyond comparison. Do you know what that, that phrase means? I love it because it means a throwing beyond others. So whatever you're dealing with, God says, look at my glory. Here it is. Go catch it. It's all the way over there. I need you to keep looking that way. And what does it go on to say in verse 18? He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is, un, for what is seen is temporary. It's only here for a moment. It's light and it's momentary. But what is unseen is eternal. So how do we see our problems here today and look past them to something that we can't see? It's called faith. We trust that God is on the other end of that because he's been carrying us. We know that. You can't physically see fruits of kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, love, joy, peace. You can't see those. However, you can experience it with, in an interaction with someone. And it just baffles you. I mean, love, think of love itself. Love, you have to choose to love your wife, your spouse. You have to choose to do that every single day. How do they know that you love them? Because they see you doing it. You can't just say, here, here, babe, there's my love. Hold it. Don't let go. Don't let go of it. No, that's not how it works. You have to experience that love. So it's in those moments when someone is led by the character of God that God is saying to you, you're going to be okay. I know it's rough, but I've already seen you through it. I just need you to see me through it. See me through the struggle. See me through the pain. I'm here. Remember all those promises that await you on the other side of time. That's eternity. Eternity. 
the Holy Spirit walks alongside you and causes you to walk in this eternal character. And we can see that amongst each other. And then lastly, eternal is used as a term for the object of hope or the object of expectation. I love that. Hebrews 9.15 calls eternity or, or the kingdom of God, calls eternity the place of blessedness. The place of blessedness. Once your heart and mind are set on Christ, you are positioned in the kingdom of God. You're there. God has set you in his presence for eternity. You are already there. The kingdom of God is where we are to set our minds. We are to think of true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, just, excellent, and praiseworthy things. Things that are only found in the presence of God. And then, and only then, will you experience the peace of God in your lives. That's Philippians 4, 8, by the way. Philippians 4, 8. We will not find those things on earth. You got to know that. The things that we think are good here, they're, they're just going to evaporate. They're going to leave. We're going to go away. Yes, God created everything on the earth and the fullness is his. It's all his. But we shouldn't put our hope in things, in the things of this world. When suffering comes, and it will come, I promise you it's coming. We want to run to something, don't we? We just want to get away. We want to get away. We got to stop thinking about what it is that's coming our way or that we've been uh, hit with. And many of us turn to the wrong things. And it's because they are an escape. Many of us are deceived into thinking that this thing is okay or this thing is fine and just in moderation and just in little bits. But we wind up trusting in that or ourselves more than we trust Jesus. When suffering comes, we're left with no hope. Those things do nothing but give a pseudo-satisfaction. It's a fake satisfaction. It's only for a moment, and then you wake up to the fact that it didn't do the job. So what happens? Now you're going to go look for something else. Now we've got to find something else to satisfy us for a moment to take my mind off things. My friend, Jesus is the only hope we have. He is the place of blessedness. In fact... Well, he's in it. <laughs> he's in it and he is. And through him, we receive all the blessings in the heavenly eternal realm. I did not say the torments in the eternal realm because God is not a God of fear. Because fear involves torment. It involves punishment. Not with our God. First John 1, 1 through 4 says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard. Th this is John's testimony. I love this because the word have is, it means possess. I got it. Now listen to him. He says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, 
which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have gazed, fixed our eyes upon, and touched with our own hands. This, this object that I'm speaking about is the word of life, the word of life. That's Jesus. And this is the life that was revealed. And we have seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life. There it is again. The eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. The Father sent eternal life to us to reveal himself to us through him. That's Jesus. John says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. I love, I, I love it. He's just like, we've proclaimed to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And this is fellowship. And this fellowship of ours is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. We write these things so that our joy, he's not saying my joy in the church that he's writing to. He's not saying the apostles' joy. He is saying our joy as a, as a church whole. This is all of our joy so that it may be complete. And what, and what John is saying is we have watched the grace of God walk among us. We watched and heard the love of the Father that saved the prostitute, that saved the tax collector, saved the drunk, saved the pillhead, saved the, the, moral, the, the Judaizer, saved the homosexual, saved the transgendered person. We watched him transform lives. These people weren't the same, and neither am I. That's what John's saying. He says, we watched him suffer. He didn't say a peep. And he died because he loved those who accused him and put him on that cross. He did that so that he may save them. He says, we watched him go into a tomb. Three days later, we ate fish with him. Forty days later, 40 days after that, we watched him go up into heaven. And he sent us. He sent us to tell you about it. He says, your suffering does not go unnoticed. You need to know these things. He says, you need to know these things because we all suffer. And when we know Jesus and we're in fellowship with him, our joy may be complete in those sufferings. So if eternal life is about God, about what God has given us in the life, in this lifetime, in the place of blessedness and eternal peace and joy. How do we get there? How do we receive these things? And how do we remind ourselves of these things? Well, this comes to the next point. You can only know what you know. So make sure you know relationships matter. Relationships matter. What do I mean by relationships? Every person has a religious nature. Everyone wants to believe in God, but it differs on who their God is. Their God may be some man-made statue that has um, uh, invited demons to come and, and play and stay with them. Maybe it's themselves. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's Mormonism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, all the motherisms. Could it be money, sex, drugs, music? 
I don't know. God knows, but I don't know. All I know is that Jesus came to demolish religion. He came to demolish tradition, and he came to demolish idolatry and make a straight path to God. He is that straight and narrow path, and we need to know that he needs to be the most important relationship in our lives. John 17, 3b, it says that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ. I stopped it there for on purpose because this shows what fellowship is. This is fellowship right here. This is what we just talked about in 1 John. This word fellowship, koinonia, it is partnership, participation, communion, a common union. What the church has in common is the union they have with Christ. We need Jesus' partnership to be participants in receiving his eternal life and to participate in living out godly lives in this life. We need his help. And we have to first come to a place where we can admit that. We have to admit it. Daily, we have to admit it. Without him, we can't do any of that on our own. We can't be in communion together. In fact, without him, we can't be in communion with one another because our default nature is to hate. Whether that's the color of a skin, skin tone, or the color of someone's shirt, we immediately run to hatred. We immediately want to separate ourselves from one another. We, listen, we cannot grow as Christians if we let pride get in our way or if we let something like a skin tone trip us up. We can't do it. We won't do it. You might think you are, but you're only fooling yourselves. Me, myself, also. But Jesus can change that, though. You want to know how? Revelation 3.20. Look at that. Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, he says anyone. I'm calling out to everybody. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. Jesus just wants to eat with you and get to know you. And he wants you to get to know him. You want to make it a little more romantic since we are the bride of Christ? The church is the bride of Christ. That's his wife. Look at, okay, it's not here, but you can write it down. Song of Solomon 5.2 says, I sleep, but my heart is awake. Can you imagine that? I sleep, but my heart's ready. And what does it say? It says a sound. I like to... Oh, a sound. My beloved is knocking. And what is her beloved saying? Open to me, my darling, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. That's the church right there. How many of us are married in here today? That's a good bit of us. Yeah, me too. Um, can you imagine... Can you imagine your spouse wanting to be married with you only to be married because they want to show off their marriage license or they want to have the privilege of saying, I'm married, but they have no desire to have an intimate relationship with you? Can you imagine that? 
that would be the most miserable marriage you've ever been in. It's not a real marriage because you're not trying to get to know the person that you're doing life with forever. My friend, the bride of Christ is to be all about Jesus. Jesus said he's coming back for a pure bride. We can't do that without him. However, he is looking for those who are longing to see him, who are ready every single day to get up and say, Lord, I'm serving you. And today, if you come back, I want to be caught up being busy for you. Not just being busy. We can all get busy. But being busy for him is different. It's putting ourselves down. True fellowship with Jesus is dining with him. He wants to sit with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants you to fall in love with him because he already loves you. He's faithful and he will stay. I can't say that many of us in here would do that, would stay with the person that just said, hey, I'm going to go out with the boys. Don't wait up with me for me. I might be back. Probably won't, though. But you just stay here. That's not how we should treat Jesus. Philippians 2.14, that's not how we should treat each other. Philippians 2.14 and 16 says, do everything. This is, we can't get, you can't get past verse 14 without realizing how badly you need Christ. Do everything, not a couple things, not a few things, everything. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Leah told me to bring in the chairs last night because it was about to rain. I told her, okay. In my heart, I said, who cares? I don't want to bring them in. I brought them in, by the way. But the thing is, I, we want to complain first. Boy, do we need Christ. But this is among each other. He says, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and perverse generation. He wants us to be blame, uh, to not complain and argue so that when we see him, we are not ashamed. He says, in which you shine as lights in the world. We're also supposed to be examples of Christ in this world. To people outside of these walls that don't know Christ. That's what we're supposed to be doing. As you hold forth the word of life, look, that's Jesus again. You know that Facebook reaction? You know, there's the like, and then the love, and then the care. It's holding a heart. It, you hold it, and it just goes, mm. That's how we're supposed to be holding the word of life. We're supposed to be caring about it. Hold forth. Hold it. In order that I may boast, Paul says, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Paul won't be bragging or boasting in heaven. This is a loving church father's emotional encouragement. He's so proud of the attendees of Philippi, and he continues to encourage them, as should all pastors of their churches. They should have a reason to be excited for coming to church at any time of the week as people are hungry and thirsty for the word of God and fellowship. But the sin cycle won't stop until we see Jesus. Even more so, discipleship should not stop until we see Jesus. Even more so, fellowship should not stop until we see Jesus. Don't separate yourselves from each other. From each other. You are to go out into the world together 
to bring more people into God's kingdom. And then last, we have you can only know what you know. So make sure you know purpose matters. Purpose. Why purpose? Because of John 17, 3C. Whom you sent. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Jesus knew from a child what his purpose was. His purpose was to serve mankind by giving them a personal way to reach God. This was his purpose. God tells us twice in the Gospels, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is his purpose. He said one specific time, listen to him. And I said this with the students before, but imagine imagine these subwoofers with God's voice in there just rumbling this church. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Like, whoa. You can imagine that Peter hit, hit his face on the ground because he was looking at Jesus, Elijah, and Moses all at the same time. And Jesus was completely different at that point, at that moment. God's purpose was to send forth his son to fulfill his purpose by making his father's purpose his own. Now the Holy Spirit dwells among us to complete that purpose on earth. If we are called to mimic Christ, shouldn't our purpose match his? If the Holy Spirit lives within us, shouldn't we be spurred on to imitate Jesus in every aspect of our lives? Jesus was sent. Jesus sent Isaiah. Jesus sent Gideon. Jesus sent Samson. All these people were sent. Jesus sent his apostles and, his, and he sent them out to tell us that we are sent. We are to go and find people who need hope. Our purpose is to go to places we never thought we would go and infiltrate it with the Spirit of God, that eternal character, so that we can show them hope, peace, joy, and love. That's God's character, the one you serve. God wants us to love on people the way that he loves this sinner. If he made a change in you for the better, you should be sharing that with people. You should let them know there's a different way, you know. You don't have to stay stuck in this. You can be completely different. And there are a lot of young people, older ones alike, who are searching for purpose. They're searching for it in so many different avenues. This is where the gender confusion comes into play. They're looking for purpose. Homosexual temptations speak louder when one doesn't know their purpose for existing. This is where drugs turn into what gets a person out of bed every day and may ultimately end up on the street. A constant wandering from person to person, from thing to thing, engulfs them. And all the while they're just tired, they're confused, they're lost, 
They're lonely, they're depressed, stressed, anxious. And why? Because the church forgot what they were here for. We need to remember our purpose. Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to what? His purpose. And what does that word purpose say in the Greek? It's a, it's prothesis. I love it. To set before, to place before a proposal, the showbread placed before God. That's awesome. I don't think I have the time to unpack that. I wish I did, but I don't. If if this was a Wednesday night, I'd just keep going. But it's Sunday. <laughs> I, I knew I, I knew that was going to happen. You are positioned in God's kingdom. Heaven is God's throne. Earth is His footstool. You are there with Him. And this is a must to remember when it comes to living out your Christianity. I mean, think about that. His purpose is a setting forth. Who did he set forth? He, as a showbread, 12 tribes of Israel on a gold table. And the menorah that's in front of it, that's looking at it, represents Christ. While the throne of God, which is the Ark of the Covenant, is the propitiation, the mercy seat. That is Christ also. Everything in this tabernacle refers to, or temple, refers to Christ. And God, the Father, sent forth his Son. He set him forth. And he placed people, all people before him, all those who love him. And his proposal is that you would just surrender your life to him. He is always watching you. He is always ready to uphold you. Maybe you don't know if you're a Christian today. And this is where I'm starting to wrap up. Maybe you don't know if you're a Christian today. Maybe your purpose is a little muddy for you. Maybe you don't believe that God has forgiven you. Maybe you don't believe that God can forgive you. You probably feel like I'm just the dirtiest of the dirt. Well, let's be honest, you are. Listen, we're all made of dust. We are all made of dirt. Why do you think we have B.O.? Why do you think we give off odors? Why do you think our body deteriorates? We are made of dirt. We're dying. So, yes, you are the dirtiest of the dirt. But God does not see you that way. You are something more precious than that. His arms are wide open, waiting for you to run to them. He made you in his image, but sin has stained that image. Maybe you are a believer today, but you aren't following Christ. You know you can believe in Christ. You can know about him without knowing him. You're probably thinking the same thing the non-believer is. God won't accept me in heaven because I have done some wicked things here recently that he will never forgive. Don't forget about Samson. Samson was a sexually charged man who sought to be loved by all those he encountered. He was a lonely man who had supernatural strength due to the vow that he had with God. Can you imagine the confusion in this man's mind? 
he broke that vow, that Nazarite vow, a few times. And God's spirit left him, but he came back for one last hurrah in the, in the temple of Dagon to take those people out. And guess what? He is mentioned in the book of Hebrews in the hall of faith. God loves messed up people because they have a greater witness. Don't think God can't forgive you because he can. He already has. But now you need to accept it and walk in his forgiveness. And you, you know what? Y'all can stand because I'm about to read this Bible verse and then we're going to pray and Brother Ken and Matthew can come up. But this passage is 1 John 2, 12 to 14. It says, I am writing to you, little children. Those are newborn to the faith. Those are infants. Listen to that. Because your sins have been forgiven through his name. That's where you are once you're forgiven. Once you're forgiven, you are an infant. You are brand new in this faith. Verse 13, I am writing to you fathers, those aged, that's those who are aged in the faith, wisdom, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you young men, those who are learning to walk in the faith because you have overcome the evil one. Once you start studying your word, you realize that God set you in a place where you have overcome and you will overcome every single time. But notice the transition here. Notice it. I have written to you children. He took away little. Now you're, now you're toddlers in the faith. Now you're ready for solid food, you know, like grilled chicken cut up because you can't really use your teeth. You don't have any. Because you know the Father. Look at that. Know the Father. I have written to you fathers because you know him who was from the beginning. That didn't change. That didn't change at all. And then this one I have to cling to. I have written to you young men. This is those on the path of righteousness led by wisdom, led by the Holy Spirit who suffer, who struggle all the time and aren't afraid to admit it. And this is what the encouragement is, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. When you are in this, when you know Jesus, when you love him and you follow him with your whole heart, he abides in you. He lives with you. And, love, and you have overcome the evil one. Just a reminder, believer, person who is struggling to let go. Once you come into God's family, you've overcome the evil one. The evil one will come at you from many different areas, and you will be bothered. But you have overcome him, and you can, as long as you run to Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word and just who you are and what you've done for us. And God, I'm overjoyed. I'm ecstatic for the, the things that you've done here, the, the relationships that I've made here at Warren, that Leah and my family have made here at Warren. And Lord, we are just excited for, <laughs> just for tomorrow. We are just excited. And we know that you're gonna be there because we will need you more then. Father, I pray over all these people a blessing that you 
will just infiltrate their hearts, that they would allow you to infiltrate your heart, uh, their, their hearts and that you would walk alongside them and, and show them exactly what, they, what you want them to know. Father, I, I pray for anyone that may be struggling with surrendering and their hearts probably just beating a thousand miles per second. Lord, I pray that you grab a hold of that heart and that through your Holy Spirit, you just tell them to surrender and give it all to you. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of your salvation. Lord, I pray that these believers are strengthened, and I pray that they can walk in your spirit and see you and let you guide them. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, today's a special day. You've heard from Brother Casey about uh, the vision that God has given them, the direction. I'm going to ask Casey and Leah to come up um, as we close their service. And as we close the service today, we want to pray over them and uh, because they're going to need it. Um, they're stepping out. They've been on the front line, but now they're going to be leading. And that's a big, big step. And so we want to pray uh, God's protection over them as they uh, seek to follow the Lord and what, he, uh, what they believe God is, is leading them to do. We're going to pray for wisdom uh, for them as they lead out. And we're going to pray, Lord, that they uh, would have just a compassion for each other and that they will grow closer together as a couple through this joint venture of following the Lord. Uh, one of the most beautiful pictures that I've ever seen as a pastor is a, it's one of these little figurines, and it shows uh, the pastor out front leading the horse, and the wife is in the carriage, and simply as Casey said about Leah, I'll follow you wherever the Lord tells us to go. That's quite a commitment. So um, let's pray over them, and then you come by and uh, commit and covenant your prayers with them. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to come forward, absolutely. Come on up. Lord Jesus, it's a special day, always is, when, um, Lord, your children um, hear your voice and obey. Uh, Lord, we pray for Casey and Leah as they are following you to, to the, uh, Lord, the belief in their heart and believe that, they have, that you have uh, confirmed uh, this into their hearts. We know that the road ahead will not be easy, but it will be complete because you will be with them. We know that you will protect them. You will watch over and keep them. May they always remember, Lord, uh, your promise to them and the joy that they felt when they finally made that decision because they will need to be able to come back to that point uh, in the days ahead. So I pray, Lord, uh, your watch care over them, for those precious children, for their family, and for those that you will be calling out to be a part of, of uh, the new church start 
um, that they're uh, headed to do. So we know, Lord, that as we follow you, you will provide for every need, and that is our prayer for them, that you will meet every need physically, you'll meet every need spiritually and emotionally, and Lord, we know that you will uh, will do that because uh, your word tells us uh, that I've been old, I, I have been young and now I'm old, but I have never seen your children begging bread. You promise to protect, provide, and Lord, to um, give direction and purpose. And so that's our prayer for them as they go. We will miss them. This youth group uh, has been bonded through them. We know that you will provide for them as well as the church moves forward here and you'll provide the leadership and the direction and so uh, thank you for this uh, youth group and know that you will continue to use them and show your love through them as well we just commit all this to you and all god's people said amen amen thank you for listening to sunday sermons if you want to learn more about us visit warrencommunitychurch.org